Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Did you know that when the religious leaders of Jesus' day decided to pay Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, that uh, this was something that had already been predicted in Old Testament prophecy, that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which is exactly what happened. So today, in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study, we're going to talk about that prophecy, and we're going to talk about why Judas, why him, and why the 30 pieces of silver, and uh, another element of what was going on in this whole interaction between Judas and Jesus that led Judas to betray him. That's what this episode is all about. Okay, so um, we we got last week to the point of where we were looking at what was Judas's motivation for betraying Jesus. Why did he do what he did? And uh, we're looking at uh, Matthew twenty six and verse fourteen, where Matthew gives us a reason specifically. And Matthew writes in uh, verse 14, uh, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So we know that uh, one of the motivations, and perhaps the primary motivation, uh, I guess some people could make an argument that it could be stated it was the only motivation, uh, although I think other people make a strong argument that there were other reasons in addition to this. But I think it's meaningful to us uh, that of all the reasons that there could have been for Judas to do what he did, the only one that Matthew specifically talks about is Judas's greed. And, uh, and I think 
we can, as we did last week, expand on that, that when you're motivated by greed, when money is important to you, when material things are most important to you, uh, that you then open yourself up to problems in your life and especially in your walk with Christ. And we said how in, um, you know, first Timothy that, um, uh, Paul writes that, uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It was true for Judas and it's true for us. It's been true ever since that day to this day. Uh, and so we have to be careful about the priorities that we set in our lives and especially how important we make money. Remember what did Jesus say? That, you know, you can't serve both God and money, right? You, there is a place in our lives for money, and God has called us to be good stewards of money, but money cannot be our primary motivation for living. And, and, and the, and the, and also cannot set the, 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 the way that we live our lives. Um, we need to use money as good stewards of the way that God would have us to use money, but not make it the reason for living as it were, and, and for the way that we conduct our lives. So we looked into that to some extent last week. And, uh, one of the things that was uh, that we talked about was the amount of money that Judas accepted for betraying Jesus, and it was thirty pieces of silver, and uh, that's not a lot of money. And even in that day, it was about a month's worth of living expenses. This is a you know. Uh, 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 Judas could have lived for about a month on the money that he was given here. Uh, so why, why did he accept 30 pieces of silver? And we don't know exactly, it's, it, but it does indicate a couple of things. One, first of all, we know from the Old Testament that 30 pieces of silver was the value put on a slave at that in the old testament if your slave if you had a slave and he was killed by your neighbor's bull who gores him and he dies the neighbor has to pay you 30 pieces of silver so that was the price or the value of a slave so one thing it shows us is that the value that the priests had for jesus was that he was no worth no more value than a slave the other thing is, hey guys, the other thing is that Judas was able to, was willing to accept 30 pieces of silver. And we talked about many reasons last week as to why that might have been. And uh, one of the reasons might have been is because, uh, you know, Judas himself was uh, poor and maybe that to him was not an insignificant amount of money. Um, also, maybe he try to negotiate a better deal with the priest. And this was the best he was going to get. So this is what he settled for. Um, and we said that, you know, we know that 
John tells us that uh, Judas was a thief, that he'd been stealing. He'd been he was the the keeper of the money bag for the disciples, and he had been stealing from them. Was a thief all along, taking money out of the bag for his own personal purposes, and that. As we get to this point in uh, Judas' relationship with Jesus, he's beginning to hear things from Jesus that don't set well with what he thought was going to happen. As a matter of fact, look at Matthew 26 again. Let's go look to, at verse 1 of Matthew 26. And it says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. So Judas is hearing this. And this isn't the first time in this last week that Jesus has talked about being killed and dying. And so Judas, so Jesus has been Judas's gravy train for the last three years. He thought that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom an eternal kingdom. And I think that Judas was saying, you know what? I'm the treasurer of the 12. And I don't know if there's going to be a treasury in God's kingdom. I don't see why you would need it. But if there is, I think Judas was thinking, if there is a treasurer in God's kingdom, I'm the natural guy to be the treasurer. And if I'm making money off the little money bag, how much am I going to get when I'm the treasurer of God's whole kingdom? And and so he was in it for the money. But now he's thinking, this Jesus is talking about dying. If he dies, how is he going to be the king? How is he going to say he can't set up an eternal kingdom if he dies? So maybe now he's reached the point to where he's thinking, okay. Maybe I'm on the wrong side here, and maybe if my uh, gravy train is coming to an end, this is my last best chance to catch in. And so I know that they're looking for Jesus. Why? Again, go back to 26. Hey, Chuck, uh, verse 3 of chapter 26, it says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him, but not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So Judas knows that the priests that have put a kind of a price on Jesus' head, they're looking for a way to to arrest him and to, you know, I don't know if he knew that they were going to execute him. I don't think they he, he knew that, but he certainly knew that the priests were looking for a way to get Jesus to silence Jesus and to get Jesus out of the public eye. And so it could be that he was saying, okay, this is my last chance to catch in on Jesus. And uh, this is the way I'll do it. I'll just go to the priest and make a deal. Make, and we call this first part of Jesus' betrayal. Let's make a deal. So one of the questions that was asked last week, asked last week and I wanted to, uh, get back to you with some specifics and Cheryl, you asked it actually is, isn't there a prophecy about that Jesus would be and somehow betrayed or hurt in some way for 30 pieces of silver specifically prophesied. So let's look, turn over to Matthew. So I have, I have the answer to that today. So let's move to Matthew 27 for just a minute. Turn over. And we're going to go to 
chapter 27 and verse um, verse 9. And Matthew writes, Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Okay, so Matthew says there was a specific prophecy in Jeremiah that says it's 30 pieces that they were in this potter's field the whole nine yards. But guess what? We don't have it in Jeremiah. We can't find it in Jeremiah. Our Jeremiah does not have that anywhere. So what's the deal there? Why would Matthew say it's in Jeremiah and it's not in Jeremiah? Well, you have two two options there. You can, one, say that Matthew made a mistake and he didn't mean Jeremiah. Um, he meant some other prophet. Or what is more likely is that there's a part of Jeremiah's prophecies that has been lost over the years. That when Matthew wrote that, they knew of a of some of Jeremiah's prophecies that had that specific thing mentioned. And so he said it's Jeremiah because they knew of it then, but between then and now, it's been lost. And and we maybe someday we'll find it, but we don't have it specifically today. There are other people who say that. Jeremiah is the first of the prophets that's mentioned, and so this is mentioned somewhere else in one of the other prophets, but because Jeremiah is the first prophet, they just said Jeremiah, meaning in the prophets as a whole. My personal opinion is I like the theory that we just lost it, that it's there, it's somewhere, but we haven't been able to find it, uh, and so we maybe someday we will. However, that's not to say that there is nothing in the Old Testament, which prophesies this, because there is. If you want to turn back to Zechariah, Zechariah is just before Malachi, the next to last book in the Old old Bible, in the Old Testament. So Zechariah chapter 11, and in Zechariah chapter 11, look at verse uh, 12. Now this is Zechariah speaking. He says, I told them, and this he's telling the people that he's been preaching to. He's been having a he's been he's been prophesying on behalf of God to a group of people at this point. And in verse 12, he steps in and he says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So, well, then why does he say handsome price, 30 pieces of silver? The handsome price means it's a good price, means it's a lot of money. Well, Zachary, the Lord here was being sarcastic, okay? The Lord has no sense of humor. And the Lord was saying, he was, he was, he was saying sarcastically, the handsome price at which they price me, that, in other words, Zechariah, you are my spokesperson. You've been prophesying on my behalf, and all they're willing to pay you for that is 30 pieces of silver. That's the value they put on my word through you, the prophet, and what a handsome price that is, meaning it's not a handsome price. 
And he says, so I took the, the now, now Zechariah steps back and he says, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. So look at this, look at the similarities there. Let's go back real quick to Matthew 27 again, verse uh, 12. And um, what did I say? Verse 27, 9. 27, 9. And it says, uh, so look at the similarities. 30 pieces of silver, both in Zechariah and in Matthew. And uh, the price set for the for by the people of Israel, that's the price they set, and it was set by the people of Israel in Zechariah and in Matthew, and he threw it into, uh, he threw the uh, coins into the house of the Lord, which is what um, uh, Judas also did, and they use it to buy the potter's field, and uh, in Zechariah, he threw it into the temple, into God's house, to the potter. So it's basically the same. So Zechariah is indeed a prophecy of what would happen to the Messiah, where we see it happening with Judas there in um, in uh, in Matthew. Now. There is also, if you want to look at Jeremiah, there is a verse in Jeremiah that talks about a potter, and it's Jeremiah chapter 18. And in Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, Jeremiah writes this, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. So as I was doing my uh, studying, I turned, I, I turned to J. Vernon McGee. Do you know J. Vernon McGee? Does through the Bible? Well, he's fantastic, isn't he? So J. Vernon McGee, I think in a marvelous way, has taken the Jeremiah prophecy and or the Jeremiah scripture we just read where God says basically, I'm the potter, you're the clay. And he takes the Zechariah prophecy and he takes what Judas did and he brings it all together. And it, I just have to read it to you because it's a little bit long, but is fabulous. So this is what Vernon McGee says. He says, well, Judas came into the temple and threw the money down there. But the record says, and the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for it for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought with them and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Zechariah had already said, and I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. That was no accident. This is one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture that we have. What is the potter's field? 
the potter's field was property belonging to the potter. When uh, the clay had, when he had clay on his wheel, attempting to make a pot, a vessel, a vase, but it didn't yield to his fingers, or it wouldn't bend where he wanted, uh, for a piece, or or a piece came off, he would take it off the wheel and throw it into the field. The clay wasn't the right texture to be molded. It was discarded as useless. In Jeremiah's prophecy, God likens himself to the potter. God puts the clay, mankind, on the potter's wheel and attempts to fashion it into the vessel he has in mind. But the clay has to yield to him. The clay that won't yield to him is thrown out into the potter's field. He can't use it. It is interesting that the price of Christ was 30 pieces of silver. And the priests took uh, the coins. They were very pious about not using the price of blood for religious purposes and bought the potter's field as a burial place for the poor. My friend, the Lord Jesus has been working in the potter's field for a long, long time. He purchased it, but he didn't purchase it for 30 pieces of silver. He paid the full price for more than any amount of silver or gold, his own precious blood. He paid the price so that he might buy this old world in which you and I live, a world filled with filled with the broken lives of mankind, broken physically, broken mentally, broken morally, broken spiritually. The great potter, the Lord Jesus, takes the clay that was thrown away and puts it on the wheel of circumstance and shapes it into a vessel of honor. We are the clay, he is the potter, and even in these days of his rejection, he is working in the potter's field. Isn't that fabulous? So, yeah, 30 pieces of silver. Why? Well, because it was prophesied that is what it would be. And so in God's great poetry, what was prophesied in the Old Testament happens in the New Testament. There was one other. Uh, yes. <laughs> And they can't use it, and they have to buy potters and deal with it. But um, have you seen those commercials, the Jesus commercials, where he gets us? A few of them I've seen. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I don't always agree with what they're saying. Um, but they were saying that there's going to be two during the Super Bowl, and people were kind of objecting to them um, losing the funds of that high of cause. Okay. Um, it's actually cheap. Hobby Lobby. But they're trying to say, you know, he was a legal immigrant too. When, you know, someone there, he gets us. It's Jesus who gets us. And then some of them have a good message. That's what I'm trying to But anyway, it reminded me of that. That's interesting that 30 pieces was place to be very horrors. Um, so, you know, he does, and in a sense, Jesus does understand that, you know, and he says, all them foreigners among us said to, um, you know, treat them well. Yeah, and the pot, the potter of that day was on the low rung of society, okay? So they, they were manual laborers, they were poor, they were uneducated, uh, and this potter's field using to bury people, you know, this was not where the rich people were buried. 
This isn't where the priests were buried. This is where as, I know I'm a big Gunsmoke fan. Okay, I love Gunsmoke. And uh, this is in Gunsmoke is what they used to refer to as Boot Hill. Boot Hill. You know, Boot Hill is where they buried all the all the outlaws, all the people who died without family or who they didn't know. You know, they just come into town and and Matt Dillon guns them down or whatever. You know, uh, so Potter's Field is like the Boot Hill of the day. This is where people were buried who were poor, didn't have family, or, you know, they were the low, the low rung of people that got buried there. John Clowden was thrown into the and I don't know, I think that's where things were. Judas. Well, I mean, Judas died there, basically. Yeah. The ones that, that, that really didn't make it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, just goes to show that, um, you know, the whole thing around that the priests of the time had such low esteem, held such low esteem for Jesus and for his followers. And, um, you know, they just saw him as, as, you know, he was a threat to them, but he wasn't, he wasn't valuable to their cause, which is hard to believe. Yeah, so I have to, so my, so I have a question. So I'm so glad you brought that up, Grady, because when Judas went to ne- to, to negotiate with the priests, was he only trying to negotiate money or was he also trying to negotiate a position? So, I mean, Again, it's not in scripture, but my thing is, if I'm Judas and I know how much they want to get Jesus, and I know that I can help them do that, and I know that that's going to be worth something to them, and I am coming from a place of uh, a position within the 12 where I'm the, the treasurer and I have a certain position among them. If I'm going, I, I, I'm I'm thinking maybe in my mind when I'm thinking about I'm going to go to the priest and make a deal is not only am I going to get rich from this, but I'm also going to get, they're going to be so happy with what I'm going to offer them. They're going to be so appreciative of what I'm offering to give them that not only are they going to make me rich, but they're also going to make me a part of their inner circle. They're going to give me a position of some kind. They're going to make me a member of the Sanhedrin or whatever it is. <clears throat> Maybe a tax collector. But I think he was thinking when he approached them that he was going to get a lot more out of it <clears throat> than he did. And I think one of the things he, I think one of the things that just makes sense to me, human, humanly speaking, that if I were him, one of the things I would be expecting to get from them was, Hey, okay, oh chum, now you're one of us. You know, you've turned Jesus in, you've helped us, and welcome to the club. But that isn't what happened. Because what did happen is actually, as we can see, you're right, Grady. They actually, although they wanted him to do this and they needed him to do it, and they quote unquote, you know, were happy that he did it, but they didn't reward him for doing it in the way that you would have thought that they would, which means I think they, you're right. They saw him as a betrayer, a traitor, and he was of no use to them either because 
you know, if that's your character, that's your character. If that's your nature, that's your nature. And uh, it was no good for the disciples and Jesus. And they said, the priest said, no good for us either, you know. So the other thing that came up last week, and I wanted to get did the homework on this, is, man, uh, you asked this, is no, if Jesus, and if obviously he did, Jesus knowing that Judas was going to betray him from the beginning, why did Jesus invite Judas to be one of the 12? So I've done some, I've done some research on that today because that bothered me because I don't like to say what I said last week, which is I don't know. So, uh, so actually there is some prophecy as to the fact, and Chuck would have known this if he was here last week, he would have answered the question. Um, but, uh, there is some prophecy that says that someone close to the Messiah would lift up his heel against him. So look at, turn to John chapter 13, uh, first. Because John actually addresses this prophecy in his gospel. So John 13, 18. John 13. Okay, John 13, 18. It says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He and he's talking about here that he's going to be he's going to die and he, and he says, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you uh, now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. So what is the scripture where it says he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me? Well, it's in Psalms, actually. So turn to Psalm 41. Psalm 41. Okay, Psalm 41 and verse 9. This is a Psalm of David, okay? And David writes, and David, as he writes this, is thinking he's writing it about himself. But what he doesn't know, he's, he's actually writing a prophecy. And probably no one from David's time up until the time that Jesus said this understood that this verse was messianic in nature too. But when Jesus said that this is to fulfill, uh, I'm telling you, this is, this is to fulfill the scripture, he who shares my bread has lifted his, up his heel against me. All of a sudden, Jesus says, this verse was prophetic. And so, and it talks about me. And so verse nine of Psalm 41 says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So the prophecy is saying one of my close friends, one who I share my bread with, one who I share my daily coming and going with one of my inner circle is going to lift up his heel against me. So it had to be that one of Jesus' disciples would do harm to him in some way. It was prophesied that it would be, and so it had to be. And so, yes, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, but 
Jesus also knew that it had to be that way because prophecy had to be fulfilled. And so that's why he chose Judas to be a disciple. Now, Peter also reinforces this. So turn over to Acts, if you would, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 15, Acts 1, 15. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers, uh, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And then go down to verse 24, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. So Peter is also recognizing that it was prophesied that one of the inner circle, one of the friends of Jesus, one who broke bread with him on a daily basis would be the one who lifts up his heel against him. And that's exactly what Judas did. And that's why it had to be a uh, an apostle. And that's why it ended up to be Judas. And that's why Jesus chose Judas is because the scripture had to be fulfilled in that way. So, Chuck. I wonder if his intention was to try to force Jesus in being the Messiah that they have all thought. Yes. Okay. No, I, didn't, I did not disagree with you. Okay. So, Chuck, yes. So, okay. I don't really have time to go into it today in depth, but we will next week. So last week, Chuck, we were looking at what are the motivations for Judas to do what he did. And the last week we dealt with greed and the money, and this week we dealt with greed and the money. So, <laughs> so Marilyn, this is why we are so slow in moving through scripture, okay? And it, when I go home, Janice will stay in the car, you know? You repeated a lot of the things today that you did last week. I say, I'm just trying to make a point here that they won't forget. But so last week, and as, I'm glad you brought it up because I also did some homework on this too. So, because I wanted to make sure what I said was correct. And last week, Craig, you said, well, you know, Judas was probably uh, a zealot. And as a zealot, he wanted to maybe force Jesus' hand, just what you said, Chuck, into bringing into his kingdom. And he was he was losing his patience, and Jesus was talking about dying. And Judas goes, no, no, no. What can I do to change the course here? And one of the things that maybe he decided to do was to betray Jesus and get him in front of the, uh, in front of the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders, thinking that by doing so, Jesus would have no choice but to bring his kingdom in, and Judas would have made that happen by doing what he did. And um, the, the, the thing I took issue with, Grady, was the fact that, was Judas a zealot? And we know, because the Bible is clear, that one of the disciples was a zealot, Simon the zealot. All the, Every time Simon is referred to, it's Simon the Zealot. Why? Because there was another Simon who was also part of the disciple group, which was Peter, right? But Jesus changed his name to Peter, but we still see him referred to as Simon. So to make sure there was no mistake when they refer to Simon the Zealot in Scripture, they call him 
<clears throat> Simon the Zealot, just like they referred to Jesus as not the disciples, but other people referred to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth because there were other Jesuses, and they want to say this particular Jesus was the Jesus from Nazareth. We also find it in Mary Magdalene. Hey, Mary, we said, when we were talking about the resurrection morning, remember, there were like five or six Marys there on at the time. So they identified Mary Magdalene of Mary of Magdala. She was Mary the Magdalene, so Mary Magdalene. Well, Iscariot, this is the question. Some people say Iscariot means dagger. And that means that Judas was a dagger carrier. And the people who carried daggers in that day were zealots, because the zealots believed that through force, through violence, they could bring in God's kingdom then and there. They could overthrow Rome through violent acts, and Jesus and the Messiah would come and help them do that. Uh, and so if Judas was a dagger carrier, he was probably a zealot. But most people don't think that that is the accurate way to interpret Iscariot. They think Iscariot, most people think that Iscariot means there was a place, a geographical location in the area at the time called Cariot. Cariot. So I think this is the same way. This was Judah, because Judas was a common name back then. Like we said last time, John, Peter, whatever, George. And so Judas Iscariot is the way of saying Judas of Cariot, Judas from Cariot. So Probably he was not a zealot, but the question remains, did he do it, was one of the reasons he did it, to bring in God's kingdom sooner and artificially soon and a way to get Jesus off his kick of dying? So we're going to talk about that next week, and we're going to talk about two or three other motivations, one of which is, I want you to, if you want some homework, I'll give you a homework assignment, look at Luke 22, 1 to 6, Luke 22, 1 to 6. And that's one of the things we're going to look at next week, too, um, as one of the possible motivations for why Judas did what he did. So, okay, guys, that's all we have time for. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today, and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.